We're going to turn in God's Word uh, this morning, um, and we're going to read from uh, the book of uh, Titus in the New Testament. Uh, that's on page 998 uh, of your pew Bibles, uh, and it will appear on the screens to your side, um, but if you're sitting before then, you might want to open a Bible this morning so that you can uh, follow along. And we're going to read from Titus uh, chapter 2, and we're going to read verse 11. Uh, down to verse 11 in chapter 3. And that's on page 998 and 999 of the Pew Bibles. And we're thinking this morning about saved for what? What is it that we are saved for? Let's listen uh, to God's Word this morning. So that's Titus chapter 2, and that's on page 998 of the Pew Bible, reading from verse 11 down to verse 11 in chapter 3. Let's listen to God's Word together this morning. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to de redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Amen. And may God bless us the reading of his holy word this morning. I think we could probably spend a number of months in the passage that we've just read uh, together this morning, but I want us to build on what we've been thinking about over the last number of weeks about how, as God's people, we are to display the fruit of the Spirit, that as God's people, that actually we need to look different from those who are um, not God's people. 
And again, as we've spent a couple of weeks in Galatians, and now we've read um, chapter 2 in Titus, in chapter 3, again, we can kind of see the, the, the same sort of point that the Apostle Paul is making, that there's a way to live as one of God's people, and there's a way not to live as one of God's uh, people. And what my prayer is that is that we continue to see the culture developed here that God wants and longs and actually um, instructs us to have uh, as part of his bride, as being part of the bride of Christ, that actually we need to look and behave a certain way. And God reveals that to us through his word. The church should be a place, we've thought about this the last couple of weeks, that love and joy and peace and so on, the fruit of the Spirit, where those things are, are produced and developed and seen in our midst and in our lives. We often do this thing where we speak about the church, and we, we, we did a sermon series about what is the church, and for many of us, we probably, you know, I'm going to church this morning, we think of a, a building. But actually, if you are in Christ, if you're saved, you are the church. You're part of his bride. So the church is not just some sort of building that we come to, but we are church. And actually, we need to then mirror and display the fruit that God longs to see in us in this place. And if it's not being produced in us, then we have to ask why. Why is that not being produced in us? If we claim to be followers of Jesus, if we claim to be Christians, and we're not seeing the fruit of the Spirit, and actually what we're seeing is an increase in the desire for the worldly and fleshly things of this life, then we have to ask that question, why is that the case? And we can ask even further into that is, what is our source? What is it that we're tapping into? Jesus in the Gospels speaks about the, the vine and the branches and how we're to produce fruit. And the fruit comes when you're connected to the source of life, who is Jesus. And for us, in this day and this age that is done through the Holy Spirit. That we walk in the Spirit and we see the fruit of the Spirit being produced. And we said last over the last couple of weeks, before we see the gifts being practiced here, we must see the fruit being produced here. The fruit of the Spirit creates a canvas for us to carry the gifts of the Spirit in a healthy way. And one of the dangers, though, about speaking about the gifts of the Spirit is that if the fruit isn't present, and if the fruit isn't emphasized, it can breed arrogance and it can breed pride. It's why Paul demands us to pursue love and to desire the spiritual gifts. Do you hear the way around he says that? He doesn't say pursue the gifts of the Spirit and desire love. Pursue love. Go after love. Yes, long for and desire the gifts of the Spirit to be present. But as the body of Christ, pursue love. For where love is truly present, friends, there is no pride. 
We cannot be a people who are prideful. There is no room for pride in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is pride presence, present, sorry, we haven't understood grace. If there is pride present in a church, in your life, you haven't understood grace. There is no room for pride in the gospel of Jesus. Why? Because the very fact of the gospel is this. That I am not good enough. I can't do it. And it's all because of him. How can there be room for pride in that? How, how can there be room for pride in that? When it is all about him. Paul says that in, in verse 11 of chapter 2 in Titus. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. I love that verse. I think it's a, an amazing verse. And if you are someone that kind of uh, has a, a good imagination or, or pictures things and things like that, then, then maybe in this very moment, what, what you're seeing is, is the manger scene in, in the nativity when grace, when the grace of God appeared. How did the grace of God appear? What is the, what is the apostle speaking about here? It makes me smile and makes me think about Jesus. It makes me think of, of John 1, uh, where, where we, we read of the Word became flesh. Uh, and it goes on and it says in, in John uh, chapter 1, these words, which uh, again, I, I think is just phenomenal. He says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And he goes on and he says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. When grace appeared, and what is grace? Uh, I think you call them an acronym. An acronym for it is grace. You take the, the, the first letter of that and you can make a word. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. That we get to partake and benefit and enjoy and experience the richness and the riches of God. How? Not through anything I had to do by myself, but at the expense of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace comes as Jesus does. He came to seek and save that which was lost. His grace is based on his love, not on anything about you or what you need to do or achieve or earn. It's all because of him. When the grace of God appeared, salvation came for God's people. You don't need to earn it. And this is really important because the Apostle Paul here, he's speaking about good works. And he has to labor this point that it isn't unto salvation that you have to do these works. You don't do it so that you can be saved. The only way you're saved is because of grace and faith in Jesus. Because of what he has done. And Paul then tells them in verse 12 that the impact that grace has when it's received by us. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Training is it's a great word. Training or instructing is another kind of good way of, of imagining that. Instructing or training, that's what grace does. Grace 
We encounter it. But it doesn't leave us as we are. It trains us and it inspires us and instructs us that actually there's a better way, there's a godly way to live. And it trains us to renounce ungodliness. Don't go after the desires of the flesh, Galatians 5. That's what we've been thinking about. That's what grace is saying. Don't go after the world. Say no to it. Renounce it. Grace teaches us to say no. No, sin. I'm not doing that. But grace also teaches us and instructs us and allows us to say yes to God. Yes, God, I want to live for you. I want to be with you. I want to be like you. I want to produce what you want to see in my life. Grace allows us and teaches us and gives us the ability to say no to the things of this world. And it it allows us and teaches us and gives us the ability to say yes to the kingdom of God and his ways. Grace received is holiness practiced. How can we say that we've been redeemed if we're still living lives the exact same way that when we encounter Jesus? How can we say that we've experienced grace, that the Lord has come into our lives if actually there has been no change in us? By their fruit, by your fruit you are known. It's like we've been saying over the last few weeks, the grace of God helps us to walk in the spirit of God and and helps us to live lives that are pleasing to him. Think of those two, we've just read Titus, you know, it, it really does remind you of Galatians 5, doesn't it? Those ways to live and the ways not to live. By walking in the spirit. But grace also points forward to what will one day be received in all of its fullness. Verses 13 and 14. Because as we live, friends, in this world which is broken and sore, and we experience low moments and difficult moments and seasons that are challenging, and we thought about last week about how as God's people we we need to have joy. We need to have peace. And how is that possible when sometimes life sucks? How is it possible to still have joy? How is it possible to still have peace? This is how it is possible because of what grace is preparing for us as we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Thank the Lord that this is not it. There is more and there is better in store for you as God's people. There will be a day coming, friends, where you will no longer sigh. Where you no longer have to get out of bed and, oh, my back. You no longer have to creak when you get up. No longer have to grunt when you have to bend down for something. And you no longer have to carry that sense of anxiety, depression, stress, whatever it is in your life. There is a day coming, this blessed hope that is yours through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that he is preparing for you and it is all because of his grace. Hold on to that day. There'll be clouds in this life. 
there's a day coming where actually, do you know what? There's a day coming we will never see a shadow again. Because it will be all light and all glory and all splendor and all majesty. And that day is coming. And we're saved for it, absolutely. And as God's people, we have to hold on to that. We're saved for glory. We're saved for eternity. We're saved to enjoy him in all of his goodness. But that doesn't mean we just sit here and twiddle our thumbs until we get there. Because actually... Paul here in Titus, he shows us that actually there are good works that the body of Christ need to be getting on with that are profitable and excellent for people. We have stuff to be getting on with now with the confidence and the hope of the glory that is to come. Grace compels us to live lives that are God-centered, God-driven, and God-glorifying. And that starts here. That starts now. We have a job to be getting on with. In verse 14, he says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us. And again, he's pointing, because friends, we have this problem where we see it. We see it actually, in, even in all the, the other religions in this world, what do they all have in common? That you have to earn whatever is coming next. You have to work at it. That actually, you need to try and make sure that, you know, that scale is, you know, done more good than bad, because if you don't, then who knows what you're going to come back as, do you know, or who knows where you're going to go. You need to make sure that that good, good scale is outweighing the bad scale. Do good stuff. We've got this problem as humanity where we, we try and we, we do things in our own strength. And what the Apostle Paul is teaching here before we start to speak about the good works that God has for us, that actually it's not because you have to do them to be saved, that actually you do them because you are saved. Grace comes first. And we get that so back to front. Get his soul back to front. And he is laboring this point. He speaks, he basically says the same thing twice between verse 11 of chapter 2 and verse 11 of chapter 3. That Jesus came and died for you, he's redeemed you, and actually you've experienced his grace, you are saved, and there's a day coming where you will enter into that in all its fullness, and because you're saved, there are good works for you to do. Isn't that just one of those moments where you go, phew, that it's all done. It's all been sealed by him. You can't add to your salvation. You can't make it any better. You can't make it any worse. You can't take away from it. It is simply through faith that you receive in Christ what Jesus came to do for you. And because of that, Paul goes on and he talks about in chapter 3, be ready for every good work. 
please never think that you have to earn the love of God or you have to try and please him to be kind to you or that he's some sort of distant head teacher that you need to make sure that you've done X, Y, and Z and if you don't, then you're going to get detention. He loves you. Full stop. He loves you. And because of that, he sent Jesus to die for you. When the grace of God appeared, salvation came. And Jesus gave himself, that's what grace looked like, he gave himself to redeem us. Why? Verse 14, hear this, friends. Redemption is already yours. You ha- we, we have to, if we don't grasp that point that I know that I'm laboring it and I need to because if we don't grasp it, we get this whole thing the wrong way around. Because of what Jesus has done, because salvation is yours through faith in Christ's atoning works, he has redeemed us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. I love that image of being a possession of God. Malachi speaks about it as well. I think it's in chapter 3. That God is gathering a treasured possession for himself. You are part of God's treasured possession. <laughs> is that not good? I don't know if you're used to being affirmed or having kind words spoken over you or, or whatever. Maybe you grew up with, with parents or, or family or friends that were negative and used to speak in, in hardships or, or, or negative stuff over you. But actually what we read in the gospel of Jesus Christ is that if you're in Christ, you are one of his treasured possessions. He loves you. He loves you. And he is purifying for himself a people who are zealous for good works. So we're saved for glory, but we're saved for something here as well. There is something for us to be getting on with. And he speaks about these good works often in this verses that we've read this morning. And a fascinating point, part, part of this, and we're going to kind of camp here for the rest of our time this morning is in verse 5 and verse 6. Because it sounds like a big responsibility. It's chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, sorry. It sounds like a big responsibility to be getting on with what God is calling us to do, these good works. What what does that look like? How how do we do that? Well, friends, again, this is why we're touching on this, because this year we're going to kind of really focus on the Holy Spirit. He saved us, verse 5, not because of works done by us. See, he's laboring that point again. It's not through anything that we have done ourselves, but according to his own mercy, by washing, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Paul has furthered that point. Salvation is not through us, it's through God. And, and here he shows us, because often, you know, if, if we're honest, the Holy Spirit is someone that we've not really spoken about much. You know, it used to be Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and we, we, didn't, we don't really know what to do with him. He, he, he's one of these people that we just, 
you know, never really understood. Many of you have said that, that actually you've, you've found it really beneficial to hear the Holy Spirit being spoken about in a positive way because there was a bit of skepticism or even a bit of fear about what does he do? Who is he? How, how does he fit into this, this whole thing? And, and actually what we see through what the Apostle Paul is saying here is the Holy Spirit isn't just someone that we can choose if we want. It. Actually, he's vital even in the process of salvation. The washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes what Jesus has done at the cross and he makes it a reality in your life. Jesus paid the price. He's opened up the way and the Holy Spirit takes that and makes it a reality in your life as a believer. And look at the grammar. This is a one-time thing. The, the washing of regeneration or rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit is a one act. If you are in Christ this morning, you have the Holy Spirit. Because without him, salvation isn't possible. He is yours. You have him. You're the temple of the living God. And this washing makes you a new creation and it points to this internal change in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And look what the Apostle Paul, he could have stopped at verse 5, but actually he, he goes on even further to show us a, a, an even better point, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. There is no half measures in the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit has been poured out abundantly upon his church. When Christ ascended, what we what we kind of what should be coming to mind here in that verse is Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. When they're waiting for the helper to come and they're gathered and Jesus has ascended and Acts 2, we read, and if you've not read it, go and read it later on. We see the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the church. There's tongues of fire and there's amazing signs of wonders that come. And what we see in, the, in, in, the, in the, the, the letter of Acts is actually the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Why could they not go and do what God had given them to do until Acts chapter 2? Because they didn't have the power by that point. They didn't have the empowering they needed. And when Christ ascended to heaven, he sent the helper, the one who came to empower the church, for all that she's been made to do. But here's a really important point. It's not just for the one or the two or the elite or even the apostles. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the bride. We see that in Joel chapter 2. I'm not got time to go into it this morning. Joel 2 where we see the prophecy given in the Old Testament about God's Spirit being poured out upon all flesh, all people, male and female. God isn't sexist. All people, male and female. And God isn't ageist. Because he goes on in Joel 2 and he says, you're young men and you're old men. You're young people and you're old people. They'll dream dreams and they'll have visions. This is for all of us, friends. And he's given us the power for what we need, for what he's called us to do. So as Sandy Hills Parish Church, as the body and the bride of Christ, whom Jesus has saved by his grace for glory, 
but also he's called us for works here in earth, for the kingdom to be proclaimed and the kingdom to be demonstrated. God hasn't left us to try and scramble around and do it by ourselves. He has given us his Holy Spirit. And God wants to use you now for his glory, for he's redeemed you as his own treasured possession. So what about now? What is God calling us as a fellowship to? To stand on his word. And he will empower us to do that in a very difficult day. To love one another. And he will empower us to do that. To proclaim his truth. He will empower us to do that. To demonstrate his kingdom. He will empower us to do that for every good work that he has called us to do, he will empower us to do that. And that includes you, young and old, male and female. He's a plan for your life. A plan for your life that will bring him glory. And all we have to do is say yes. Would you do service for Jesus, your King? There's power in the blood. Would you live daily his praises to sing? There is wonderful power in the blood. Just before we sing that wonderful hymn this morning, friends, our community needs a glimpse of the power of God. And he's given us a responsibility to show it, teach it, proclaim it, and demonstrate it. Why? Because we are his treasured possession. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that, I thank you that you love us. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to work at or try and achieve your love, your grace. That in your mercy, that when we were lost and when we were dead in our sins, that you reached out in love towards us. Thank you, Lord, that if we are in you this morning, if we have asked you into our lives, if we have had faith in you, that you call us your treasured possession. May we know the truth of that statement this morning. That we belong to you. We thank you for what you've saved us for. We thank you that you've saved us for glory. You've saved us to enjoy your splendor. To enjoy eternity with you. But thank you Lord that you've saved us to make a difference and stand out here in this life too. Help us to be the ambassadors that you long for. Help us to be a people who mirror the kingdom of God in our speech, in our actions, our character, in our lives. And we thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit richly. That you empower us for all that you have called us to be and do. 
Thank you that there's power in the blood. For we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.